Amen. If you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter 11. And we want to begin in verse 26. And then take it to verse 32. And then we want to cover all of Genesis uh, chapter 12. We want to look at part one. Abraham, man of faith. And it's encouraging to me as a pastor to see the life of Abraham. We've often studied it in pastoral leadership classes and conferences such as this one in Tucson, and it never gets old. In fact, those of us that went to the conference are going to be able to even glean more as we go through this study, part one, and then we go through part two on Wednesday. But when we speak of Abraham, man of faith, he was also of man of disobedience. He was a man of obedience, and he was a man of faith, and then he was a man that faltered uh, in his faith. And yet God used him mightily. God gave promises to Abraham that are absolutely incredible and still the promises today. We, the church, the body of Christ, the Gentiles, we profit from the promises uh, of Abraham. Abraham is well known uh, in history. He's well known uh, not only in the Hebrew culture and the Hebrew nation, in Israel and such, but also the Arabs uh, because of Ishmael, his first son, the son that was born of the flesh, the son that was born of Hagar, an Egyptian handmaid. And so we see Abraham and we see Sarah uh, making drastic mistakes. And even today, the son in the flesh. When you look at the Arab nations, they are a, a thorn in the flesh to the nation of Israel to this day. And they will continue to battle. But we see Sarah also a woman of faith as she followed her husband. And you're going to see in the text they were living in the land of Mesopotamia. Uh, they were living in the land of Ur and the Chaldees. Basically, we, we understand today as Babylon. And at this time in Babylon, uh, the cultures were demonic. Uh, they were worshiping uh, foreign gods. They were worshiping idols. In fact, Terah is the father of Abraham. And he was considered a high priest. Uh, of these gods, small g. And so imagine the call upon Abraham. Now we're going to see in the beginning he's called Abram, and then his name is changed later uh, to Abraham. And we know that Sarah, her name was previously Sarai. And so I will probably go back and forth, but we're speaking about Abraham, and we're speaking about Sarah. And so let's begin here as we glean on Abraham, man of faith. And that fits us here this morning. Men of faith and women of faith. And then it also fits us when uh, we are obedient like Abraham. Get up and go, and he did go. And yet we also fall into place uh, of a man of faith and then a man of lacking faith. A woman that lacks faith. And then we see disobedience. Uh, in our lives, we see disobedience in, in Abraham and Sarah. And so we can identify. But here's the key. It's called the grace of God. Unmerited favor. 
We deserve judgment. Abraham and Sarai, uh, they deserve judgment, but God gave them grace. And it's the grace of God that sustains us. And so let's begin here in Genesis chapter 11. Look at verse 26. Now Terah uh, lived 70 years. He begot Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. These are his three sons. Uh, Terah is Abraham's father. Nahor, Haran, and his, are his brothers. And so they were into idol worship. Oftentimes people ask, was Abraham into idol worship? Uh, it does not say, but he was part of the family. And really they had no other uh, means of worship but the idol worship. Yet God saw something in Abraham, and he chose him to be the father of many nations. Uh, the word Abraham in the Hebrew, it means the father of a multitude. And we see that today. And so we see Terah's descendants. Uh, very important here. Genealogies in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, are very important, very vital. But the only genealogies that we read and that we see in the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, pertain to the Messiah to come, which is Christ. And so we see the genealogy of Terah because Abraham belonged to Terah. And so in verse 27, we begin here. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. Now, Abraham's nephew is Lot, and he's going to go with him because we know that Haran dies in verse 28. And Haran, Haran died before his father Terah in the native land in Ur of the Chaldeans, which we understand today as modern-day Iraq. Interesting, this whole area also, they don't know where it's at, but remember, judgment came, but this is where the Garden of Eden is from. And so, again, we have such history here. But everything imaginable at this time in the culture of Babylon, of the Chaldees, it was worship. And so imagine what they lived in. And there God calls Abraham from the midst of that. Now, historically, we're told that Terah was a high priest there in Ur. And so, again, look at the background that he has here. And so we go into verse 29 now. Then Abraham, Nahor, they took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. And the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Ishka. But Sarai was a born, or barren, excuse me, she had no child. Sometimes God uses circumstances in our lives, such as Sarah and Abraham, no child. The child will come, uh, the promised seed will not come until 25 years. And we know through the story that Sarah gives up. She's up in age. She's beyond childbearing. And she looks at Abraham, and he's even older. And so she conjures up in her own mind, listen to this, 
I'm going to help God. The promised seed is through Abraham. Possibly not through me. And so she says to Hagar, and it was very customary at the time, go into my handmaiden, which was Egyptian. And we know that the son of the flesh was born. His name is Ishmael. A thorn in the flesh to the nation of Israel to this day. And so sometimes God puts us to the test. And if God speaks to you, God gives you a promise, you need to hold on to that promise until the promise is fulfilled. And sometimes, listen, the promise will not be fulfilled immediately. Sometimes it takes weeks, months, and in this situation, years. But our place is to be obedient. I believe that after all these years, uh, for myself, and I'll use it as an example of being in ministry and being in Christian walk, waiting on the Lord is probably the most difficult. It's because we have a tendency uh, to want things done now. And especially in, in the quick glue society that we live in. I mean, we have drive through everything. If we could drive through uh, the dentist's office, I'm sure we would do it. Because that's our nature. We want it fast. I mean, I go up to the bank. I'll pull off to the side. I'm driving through. And I want to see which, uh, you know, teller is open and which least of the cars. The same thing when you go get gas. And so we always want to just get in and get out. Imagine waiting on the Lord for 25 years. Patience, the Bible says, is a virtue. And so Sarah could not wait any longer. And Abraham followed suit. And the son of the flesh was born. But Sarai was barren. She had no children. Look at verse 31. And Terah took his son Abraham and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and the daughter-in-law, Sarah, and his son, Abraham's wife. And they went out from uh, them from Ur of the Chaldeans uh, to go to a land of Canaan. And they came to Haran, and they dwelt there. Uh, notice immediately, Abraham falters already. He was told to go uh, to the land of Canaan. But he makes a stop in Haran. And so, again, disobedience begins. And yet God allows it. And so many times we can fall a trap to that also. Now notice that uh, uh, they were told to leave Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. And they came to Haran and they dwelt there. So they did not go directly uh, to Canaan land. Now it's believed that Haran's dad, uh, this was the city that was named after him. Look at verse 32, the conclusion of chapter 11. And so the days of Terah, Abraham's father, were 205 years. Terah died in Haran. And so now we come into Genesis chapter 12. And uh, you have to honor Abraham too. 
or are going to wait till my father dies. But that's not what God said. And so many times we want certain things done a certain way before I make a move. And you know, my wife and I could speak from experience uh, 33 years back when we moved from uh, Southern California. It was not an easy task. It was something that we labored in prayer and that we fasted and prayed and that also we sought much counseling. I'm 30 plus years old at the time. We have three children. We have our jobs. We have our homes. We have our, our vehicles. We have everything. We have family and friends. We have our church. And so I, I felt like Abraham. And God said, move. And we had no concept. Abraham really doesn't know where he's going. At least I knew that we were coming to New Mexico. I knew that we were coming to Las Cruces. These are things that we prior, priorly did in prayer and waiting on God. And I know that this is where God wanted us, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I needed to know that. But we had no concept of what was going to take place. And what I'm speaking about is the trials, the tribulation, the hardship, the pain. Our oldest daughter, as soon as she had the opportunity and was up in age, uh, she wanted to move back to California. It was very difficult for her. We brought her here when she was 10 years old. The other children followed suit. But now we have two children that live in California and two other children that live up in Albuquerque. They never liked uh, the small town mentality, even though we're at 100,000 here in our beautiful town. And, you know, my family, our relatives say, uh, you're getting close to retirement. Are you going to move back to Southern California? And I just blatantly say, no. How can I move back? And I tell them to Egypt. How can I move back to Babylon? That's where God brought me out of. But, uh, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, can we buy a house again in Southern California? I don't think so. And yet nothing is impossible with God. And so I want you to think about Abraham. I want you to think about Sarah. I mean, what must have gone through their minds and their hearts? And now Abraham's dad, Terah, finally passes away. And so now he says, okay, God, it's time to move. And so look at Genesis chapter 12 now. And verse 1, now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. At that moment, at that time, he really doesn't know of the land of Canaan. We know that later the explanation is going to be the land of milk and honey. And Joshua experienced that. But imagine the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses. And I mean, the list goes on. And then the promises given down to, to Joshua. And then finally, crossing the promised land. This is where faith comes in. This is where faith comes in. And so in verse 2 it says, I will make you a great nation. Here's the first blessing. 
and I will bless you. That's the second blessing. And I will make you a great name. Everybody today knows the name of Abraham. And if not, you've been living under a rock. And so that's the third blessing. And listen to the fourth blessing. And you shall be a blessing to others. Now, understand this. I mean, this promise is to the Jew. This promise is to the Arabs because of Ishmael. Even though Abraham and Sarah disobeyed God. But here's another take. That blessing, that promise is to the Gentiles that believe in Christ. Because here's a genealogy that will eventually catch up to Christ. From Jesus comes a Messiah. Through the Jewish system or the genealogies. And the Arab people today, like it or not, they are a great people. They are a great nation. God did not hold his blessings from them. And you know what's interesting to me? We're hearing a lot of chatter. And we're hearing about the underground church. And what's going on in Arab countries today? God is showing up. Jesus is making appearances to Arabs throughout the world, especially in the Middle East. The technology that we have today is incredible. The Internet is incredible. You can do things in your bedroom on the Internet, and nobody will even know. Now, you can listen to the gospel no matter where you're at, but you can also partake of pornography. And so sin is there in the midst of blessings. Many Arabs, Muslims, radicals are listening to the gospel message, ignoring it and then appearances of Christ. More than once, more than twice, many times over, it's happening more and more, and we need to pray. Because God is ministering to the Arab nations, to the Muslim nation. He will give every man, every woman, an opportunity to escape. God is not here to judge mankind, but judgments are set up if they continue to reject the Messiah, which is Christ. Now, study on your own. Romans chapter 11, Paul teaches that we, the Gentile nations, are the grafted-in branch. In a sense, we're spiritual Israel because we've come uh, to know the Messiah. In verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth, listen, uh, what he says, will be a blessing. The United States of America, back Israel, in the time of May 14th, 1948, when Israel became a nation. A lot is not known, but there was military influence from the United States of America. We have always backed the nation of Israel. And I believe that's why we are a blessed people. The U.S. had much to do with Israel becoming a nation. 
after 2,000 years of being scattered. Now, listen to this. If you've studied your history and you know uh, about the wars, the revolution with England in 19 or 1700s, we know that the United States became a people, became a nation, that is, in 1776. But there is a man that has a tremendous input in that history. I, I want you to do a study. Google his name, Hyam Solomon, H-Y-A-M. Hyam Solomon, he was a Jew at the time of the 1700s, residing in Philadelphia, he financially provided for the war. George Washington loved this man. The victory came because the provisions were made uh, through this man. And they said he exhausted all his money. Historically, we're told that uh, George Washington asked him after what can we do for you? And he says, you can do nothing for me, but for my people. Now, when you go home today, pull out a, a nice $1 bill, U.S. currency, and examine it thoroughly. And we know the pyramid's there with the eye. We know there's a big one. And we know that it says, in God we trust. And then there's the 13 stars. And if you look closely, get a magnifying glass if you need to, and you see the 13 stars are encased in the Star of David. Incredible. Incredible. And you ask, how do we know God has blessed our nation? Look around her. Pull out the dollar bill. And what does everybody push today uh, that basically hates God? We want in God we trust, uh, taken out of the money. We don't want it there. When I run into somebody like that, I say, well, praise the Lord. Give me the money that you don't want. I'll discard it for you. But they won't get rid of the money, will they? But study this man. I am Solomon. Great story. Look at verse 4 now. And so Abram departed. As the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now, mark this down, please. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, understand this. Ur to Haran was about 600 miles. Then from Haran to Shechem, uh, which is the promised land, was 400 miles more. These are our approximate miles. All this was done by foot. Imagine, but I want you to see this at the age of 75, and because I identify with this. I, I was 32 years old, and I said, no, I'm not. I, don't call me into this, Lord. I, I have three kids. I have a job. I have a career ahead of me. Uh, I have, you know, family, friends, loved ones. And probably the biggest test was we had just bought uh, an older home, and we renovated the house, and finally Mary, uh, you know, got it to where she wanted, and, and God, we got saved. And God said three years later, move. And we did. 
And I thought I was too old. Look at Abraham's life. 75 years old. In verse 5, then Abram, or Abraham, took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. And so they came to the land of Canaan. Uh, they first landed at Shechem. And God begins to show him there. But the fulfillment of the promise is not until the time of Joshua. History is very interesting. Again, we don't like to wait. But patience is something that God gives us. But notice verse 6 now. Abraham passed through the land uh, to the place of Shechem. And it says, as far as the Tabernacle tree of Morai and the Canaanites were uh, then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, uh, to your descendants. And so Abraham knew that the promise was beyond him. I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord. I love that. Always give God the glory. Always give God what he deserves. And that is worship and praise and adoration. Now I want you to imagine again. You're 75 years old. God gives you a promise. Beyond your understanding. Uh, gives the command to move a thousand miles from your comfort zone. Uh, you gather your families, your belongings, and more, and you move. But I have to ask the question, where? He really has no concept yet. And I see such faith. I see such trust. And to move. Now, God doesn't call everybody to do that. But if you study the Harvest Book of Calvary Chapel, these are one of the points that many a pastor had made, and, and it spoke to me, it ministered to me, that if God could use these men, he could use myself, my wife, our children. Even though it was not easy, and yet I can look back in hindsight and say, thank you, Lord. But those first five years, if not the first ten years, were tough. A lot of praying, a lot of crying. Listen, a lot of asking, God, what are you doing? You brought me here to die in New Mexico? In the midst of all the cactus and such? And Lord, can I remind you? That is no, there's no green here. Everything is brown, including the people. Come on, Lord. And then you go through the trivial path. There's no Disneyland. There's no Big Bear. There's no Dodgers. Oh, Lord. And yet God said, go. Look at verse 8 now. And he moves from there to the mountains of Bethel. Uh, the mountains of Bethel from where he was, was probably about a 20, 25 mile pass. And he pitched his tent in Bethel, the house of God, on the west of Ai, and on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. 
time of worship, time of praise. Now, Mary and I just did not move out here like that. Uh, we made three sieges. We came out three different times, and we spied the land. And we prayed, and we sought the Lord. And it was tough. When we moved, there were no Christian programming. When we moved, there was no other Calvary Chapel except uh, Pastor Skip up in uh, Albuquerque. And then uh, there was a guy in it by the name of Jim Tracy, which is actually the first Calvary Chapel. And he was in Los Alamos, and he's retired since. And then finally, we came down here to the south. And I, I have to be honest with you, when I first received the call, my intention was Albuquerque, a lot bigger city. And yet God had a plan to come here. And now look at the map and see how many Calvary chapels are in our area and how many Calvary chapels have come out of this church. Incredible. You, you could have never told me that back then. In verse 9 it says, So Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. He continued into Canaan land. God wasn't finished with him yet. But now we come to the, really, the first falter in faith. God told him to go. What is he doing in Egypt? Oh, there was a famine in the land. Now he goes out of his way again, about 225, 230 miles. All because of the famine. Now you say, wait a minute, he has family, friends. You know, he has a, um, his nephew Lot. I mean, a famine has come in. What do you do? Well, I understand. Try to take care of your family and do what needs to be done. But what did God say? God never said to go to Egypt. Now, when we study Egypt, and when you study Babylon, they're always the type of the world. And so for years in the Christian circles, we always uh, assumed when somebody backslid, they would say, oh, he went back to Egypt. She went back to Egypt. Or they would say, they've gone back to Babylon. Uh, these are the cities of the flesh. And so what business did he have in Egypt? But fear set in. Unanswered prayer, possibly. And when God doesn't answer prayer, he's telling you to wait on the Lord or continue in the path that you're on. But you're starving now. You're lacking of food. Not just you and your wife, uh, but your servants, your animals, and now Lot and his family. And so the correct move in his mind, let's go to Egypt. But there's a problem in Egypt. There's a culture in Egypt. And it has to do with beautiful women. Now we have no concept, no idea what Sarah looked like, but she had to have been a beautiful woman because of what Abraham partakes now. And so here we begin to see a lapse of faith. And you know, I have to admit, for years I said, Abraham... What's your problem? You're a leader. You had no business in Egypt. But as you go through the years in ministry, you will find yourself in those places of 
disobedience in those places of lapses of faith. Uh, look at verse 10 now. And the caption of my Bible says Abraham in Egypt. And so now there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was very severe in the land. That's not where God said to go. And so many times in our flesh, our fears, our concerns, and rightfully so, we get in the way of God's plan. I've been there. Some of you have been there. And so what would I do if I was in Abraham's sandals? What would you do if you're in Abraham's sandals? Ladies, what would you do if your husband says, let's go here? You know it's not what God said. If your husband says, let's go here. We want to go back to Egypt. We need to trust God no matter what. Keep going on faith. Keep trusting God. I can tell you now by experience, that's the only way to go. Because if you go off to the side, if you meander off of the course, God has a way of bringing you back into course, bringing you back into line. We're going to see that he gets into trouble, Abraham, there in Egypt. Is he going back to the world? Is Egypt reminding him of the Chaldees, of reminding him of Babylon, reminding him of Ur? This is a step of the flesh. This is not a step of faith. So he has a lapse of faith here. In verse 11, And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Here is where Abraham gets into trouble. The beauty of Sarah must have been overwhelming because what he asked for her to do, no faith. Look at verse 12. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me. So who's Abraham concerned of? He's concerned of himself. And men, would you admit that? I've been there. You say you're concerned for your family. You say you're concerned for your wife, your children. But many times in all reality, we're concerned of ourselves. What about me? And this was Abraham here. And yet Sarah, the obedient wife, she follows suit. Abraham says, they will kill me. But they will let you live. And so is that a way of escape? You get to live even though they kill me. But listen to verse 13. Please say, you are my sister. That it may be well with you, with me, for your sake, that I may live because of you. And so was Abraham, listen to this. Making sure the promise continues. Through his seed would come many nations, many people, numbering the, like the stars in the sand of the sea. Is he trusting God? Or does he have a lack of faith here? And Sarah, she's, you know, right in it, in the thick of it all. 
Was he really thinking about Sarah? Or was he thinking about self? He was willing to give her up uh, to Pharaoh so he could fulfill God's promise? He failed the test. And let me just speak to you a little bit about that. In our lives, we will be tested as believers, as Christians. And the stronger you get in your Christian faith, the closer you draw to God, the more you read, the more you pray, the more you seek God's face, the testings will come. They're called trials and tribulation, hardship and pain. And probably the hardest thing for me is to see some that suffer more than others. We are seeing our brothers and sisters right now in third world countries, and they are afflicted greatly, even to the point of martyrdom. But Abraham failed the test. Look at verse 14. So it was when Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. Obviously, they would look out for Pharaoh. Probably get some great points. If a woman came of beauty, because he would take many wives. And so verse 15 says, the princesses of Pharaoh also saw, or the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commanded her to the Pharaoh. And the woman was taken from Pharaoh's house. Or to Pharaoh's house. It was very customary at the time. No laws broken. Uh, that was the culture. That was the time. In verse 16, he treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, uh, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Here's God's hand. Listen. Even though... Abraham blew it. I mean, he totally backslid. God still blessed him. I want you to think about that. God still gave him a blessing. I love that it says male and female servants so they could procreate. Male and female donkeys so they could procreate. And so the blessings were tremendous. I'm sure in the same situation with the camels. And so we know that Abraham was a rich man, very wealthy. God blessed him, and he was able to bless others. But we also see the beginning here. Listen to the grace of God, unmerited favor. At that moment, Abraham doing what he did, he should have been judged by God. But yet, God made a promise. God always fulfills his promise. He never shrugs on his promise. Now, the promise might not come in my time or your time or Abraham's time, but the promise will come. And this is where we have to have faith and we have to trust God. And listen to what God does now. Intercedes in verse 17. But the Lord plagued uh, Pharaoh and his house with uh, great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. I love when the Lord intervenes. When the Holy Spirit is going to do His work no matter what. Interesting in Scripture when you see the word but. It says, but the Lord. In other words, ultimately, 
It's God. He's in control. He has a plan. And he will finish that plan, listen to me, with or without you. And yet Abraham, uh, through him, would be the promised seed. And so little did he know the importance here. And so God says, okay, need to talk to Pharaoh. Look at verse 18. And Pharaoh called Abraham and said to him, what is it that you have done? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Now, did Sarah tell him? Or did God speak to the Pharaoh? Could have easily given him a vision? Easily given him a dream? Easily spoken to his heart? Either way, Pharaoh knows and understands there's plagues upon him. And remember, uh, the plagues during the time of Moses, the Pharaoh didn't take heed. And there had to be ten plagues. But this particular Pharaoh here takes heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. In verse 19, why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. Now, if God tells you what to do, tells you where to go, it's best that you obey. It's best that you obey. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. And so we need to take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. In verse 20, the conclusion, and so Pharaoh commanded his men uh, concerning him, and they sent him away. Listen to this. With his wife and all that he had. I like this here. Pharaoh takes heed to what the Lord is saying, and he gives back Abraham, his wife. He also gives back the animals, or lets him keep the animals, from verse 16 as the dowry that was possibly given uh, for Sarah, but he doesn't take it back. God blessed, listen to this, God blessed in spite of Abraham's lack of faith. God blessed in spite of Abraham's fears, in spite of Abraham's disobedience. Sarah and Abraham were a blessed couple. Well, they have no idea right now. Now, please, that does not give you, give me carte blanche. Well, it's okay when I disobey God. It's okay when I don't have faith. I mean, God's going to do it anyway. It should frustrate you, because it does me. And I miss what God is trying to do. And I try to do it, listen, in my flesh. When you try to do it in your flesh, we're good at that. And yet God still intervenes. God still intervenes. Years ago, when we were making payments on this church, this building that is, we, we really had no reason to buy it back in the day. We had no collateral. We had a very few people coming, and the finances were not there. And it was a step of faith. And I'll tell you, there was uh, many of the end of the month prayer and fasting. Lord, the money's not there. And I can honestly tell you that through the years, 
finances were always met somehow, somewhere. And now the building belongs to us. We have much collateral. And now I'm sensing in my spirit, or is it my flesh, uh, that we need to build a building or we need to move to another building and renovate that. I don't know. So pray. See what God speaks to you. Uh, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts now, which we've been studying for the last couple of weeks. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first deacon of the church, the first martyr of the church, and he's taken before the Sanhedrin, uh, the 71 elect of Israel, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. And we know that they're going to kill him. They're going to stone him to death. He's the first martyr to the church. But listen to this. Nothing could happen to Stephen. His name means crown. Nothing could happen to him until it filters through God's hand. Yes, death comes. Martyrdom does come. Remember the word martyr, martus, means to be a witness for Christ. He was the ultimate witness. He gave his life. But not until he gave this Sanhedrin, he gave this spiritual group of Israel, the ones that made the rules and regulations and followed suit, a history lesson. Listen to what he says here. Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. And he speaks about Abraham. Then the high priest said, are these things so? The high priest at this time was Caiaphas, but there was another high priest by the name of Annas that actually uh, ran the show. Caiaphas was his son-in-law. And so are these things so? Stephen had been accused of blasphemy against God, blasphemy against God's word, and yet Stephen was a man of God. And Stephen had nothing but love and compassion for God. Look at verse 2. And he said, brethren and fathers, listen. And we spoke highly of that word. He had their attention. They could do nothing to him until they heard him out. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. He was in the land of the Chaldees, the land of Ur, the land between the two rivers is Mesopotamia, uh, the Tigris and the Euphrates, which commonly is known as Babylonia, today modern-day Iraq. In verse 3, and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come uh, to a land that I will show you. And this is what we just read, studied, Genesis 11 and 12. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans, and he dwelt in Haran, and from there, uh, when his father Terah uh, died, he moved him uh, to this land in which you dwell now. Stephen's given testimony. You're here because of the promise that was given to Abraham. In verse 5, and God gave him no inheritance. No inheritance in the land, and not even enough to set his foot on but even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give to him for a possession to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 
for 400 years. Speaking about Egypt. And then they cried out because of the taskmaster. They cried out because of the cruelty. They cried out because many were dying. But God was building a nation. They went in 70 strong to Egypt with Joseph and, and Jacob. And they came out 400 years later. Listen, approximately this is uh, what you know the scholars will tell us. Anywhere between 2 to 3 million. God was building a people for himself. Notice verse 5 or verse 6. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years and the nation to whom they will be in bondage. I will judge and God did judge uh, Egypt with the ten plagues. Said God and after that uh, they shall come out and serve me in this place where they were at now. Now you go back and study the history as we've been going through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. That first generation did not enter the promised land. It was Joshua and Caleb of that generation and their families that went into the promised land. Even Moses did not go into the promised land. In fact, the first generation, their bones were strewn throughout the desert. And because of disobedience, what's beautiful when you do the studies in Genesis and then you do the studies in Exodus, the children of Israel were about 20, 25 miles outside of Egypt, little town, little village called Goshen. And there they multiplied as they continued to serve Egypt. And from the land of Goshen to the promised land, should have taken them 11 days max. But it took them 40 years. 40 years. Because of the hardness of their hearts and their disobedience. Some of us will experience maybe not the 40 years, but the concept of 40 years because of our disobedience. And so listen to how God is speaking here. Uh, through Stephen now. <laughs> Notice now, uh, what did I leave off? Verse 7, I will judge them, God said, after they shall come out of me, serve here in this place. Verse 8, the conclusion, then he gave him the covenant, listen, of circumcision, and that's in Genesis 17. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. The twelve patriarchs. Now next week, we'll follow up. In Hebrews chapter uh, 11, and we'll pick it up this Wednesday. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the faith chapter. It's called the hall of faith. It's called the heroes of faith. And the writer of Hebrews, I believe, is Paul the Apostle. There are those that disagree, so then we can agree that the writer uh, was the Holy Spirit as he dictated uh, to Paul or to whoever would have written uh, the book of Hebrews. And the whole purpose was to teach us of the faith factor. 
And in Hebrews, he speaks a lot about various patriarchs, but puts a lot of emphasis on Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah. Now it says here, the son of the Spirit. And it would be Isaac. And we know the story. When the angel of the Lord finally came and said to Abraham, this time next year, Sarah would be with child. Ladies, do you remember? Sarah's behind the curtain of the tent and she laughed. Because she saw for herself, she was old. She was past menopause. And then she looked over at Abraham. She says, I'm old, Lord, but this guy's fried. And you're going to give us a child? I would love to have seen Abraham when he found out that Sarah was pregnant. Did you see him at the Pickwick? Uh, I'm going to be a dad. Get out of here, you old goat. Promise of God, he told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But prior to that, he was disobedient. Thirteen years prior, Ishmael was born, the son of the flesh. And God blessed Ishmael. He blessed Hagar, even though she had to leave because of Abraham and Sarah's disobedience. Disobedience will get you nowhere. Disobedience will get you in trouble. And to this day, listen to that, uh, the Arab people, the Arab nations, are a thorn in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh to Israel today. Everybody hates her, including the Arab nation. And that's all spoken of in the prophecies of the last days in Ezekiel. We can't deny that. Our place is to pray. If we have this same promise, and we know that Jesus is coming back, we know that the promises that have already been fulfilled, what makes us think the promises to come are not going to be fulfilled? I can honestly tell you, they will be fulfilled. If Jesus came in the first advent, he has to come back in the second advent. He will stand In the Mount of Olives, he will go to the gate, beautiful, and it will split in two. I've been there. I've seen it all. The Arabs have placed uh, cemetery plots in front because a Jew will not step on it. Uh, Did they forget that the Messiah can fly? Come on. It's boarded up. It's boarded up. Like you can keep God out. Tremendous lessons. In the faith of Abraham. Tremendous lessons in the lack of faith of Abraham. Learn from these promises. Learn from these scriptures. 